1: LinkedIn, the place to be, to be.
2: You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life.
3: Howdy, hey, and hello there. Welcome to another episode of Weird Finance, where we try to help you feel a little less weird about money, one conversation at a time. I am your host, Paco de Leon, and on this week's episode, I'm chatting with Kristen Sargent. Improving your relationship with money is like riding a bicycle. There are two sides that you must pedal in order to propel yourself forward. One side of the pedal is taking practical action, like implementing a spending plan, setting up automatic savings and investing, and revisiting your finances regularly. The other side is managing your emotions around money so they don't manage you. For example, not using money to try to solve non-money problems, like playing status games. In my experience, you have to pedal both sides to feel like you're making progress. The practical side can often feel easy because there are concrete steps you can take. And the emotional side can feel nebulous. Progress is hard to measure, and sometimes it can feel utterly pointless. But I think that's just part of the process. This week, I'm talking to Kristen Sargent, a coach and therapist with the passion for helping people identify and transmute the blocks to their potential and full self-expression. She works in the tradition of her mentors and collaborators, Phil Stutz and Barry Michaels. They're co-authors of the New York Times bestsellers, The Tools and Coming Alive. You'll get a good taste of Kristen's action-oriented, tools-based approach and her emphasis on shadow work in this episode because she guides me through an exercise in real time to help me make progress in my current journey of growing my bookkeeping agency. I hope this conversation inspires you. Kristen Sargent, thank you so, 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 so very much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it.
4: Thanks for having me.
3: We met... I think in 2019, it must have been. So a couple of years into your coaching business, I know you've been coaching for the last five years. And before that, you were a psychotherapist, which that definitely made me way more open, honestly, to working with you because you had this therapy background. And coaching, I feel like still can, there's a lot of bad actors, I'll say, in the industry. And I feel like it's, you know, you really have to vet and you really have to understand, you know, what you're trying to get out of it. So I was a little bit skeptical, but when I found out you were a psychotherapist, I was like, okay, cool. She she definitely has experience working one-on-one with people, but I would love it if you would share with the audience, why did you decide to go from psychotherapy into coaching?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So You know, I would say what I do is actually a hybrid of psychotherapy and coaching. So I now do it kind of under the shingle or whatever umbrella of coaching, but I'm trained and more of my, you know, professional background is in psychotherapy. But the reason I shifted away from psychotherapy is that a lot of traditional talk therapy is about, you know, the past and really circling around and hovering around what happened in the past, as if there's like this implicit assumption, unspoken assumption that if we can understand why we are, how we are, we're going to change. Now, understanding that, that's insight in my vocabulary. Insight is like half the game. I don't know what percentage of it is, but insight matters you know, but it doesn't change you unless you marry insight to action and applying insight in the here and now in the present tense, you're not going to change. And I feel like there are some modalities like psychotherapeutic modalities that have more of a, you know, action oriented focus, but the way I was trained and kind of a, very progressive Jungian background. There wasn't a lot of that, let's apply this so that new outcomes can be achieved. And I really believe that humans are capable of creating change. And so I was interested in that and coaching was kind of the avenue. Interestingly, ironically, I did end up you know, running into and becoming mentored by two really brilliant psychotherapists. If I had met them earlier, maybe I would have stayed on the psychotherapy path because they're very results focused and action oriented.
3: Yeah, there, I can't tell you the amount of times that me and Jen have been like at a dinner party or somewhere, and somebody brings up coaching, or we're talking about therapy, we're talking about coaching, and we, you know, having worked with you, we we're very much understand like, oh yeah, therapy helped us feel our feelings. We were so afraid to even feel them in the first place, to sit with them, to name them, to look at it, to look around at it. But I think, you know, once we had that tool, that ability to, to sit with their feelings, to look at it, to reflect, there was a stagnation that really only coaching has been able to kind of unlock for me. So one of the things that I've explored with you, you're a champion of this kind of work. And since working with you, I've gotten really obsessed with it in other ways, is exploring the subconscious. So, you know, we've done shadow work together and we'll definitely dive into that. But I would love for you to kind of walk us through what is so important about caring and communing with the subconscious aspect of ourselves.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think of it as the unconscious. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry about that. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but I actually did a little bit of, you know, I use those terms interchangeably. So for the purposes okay. of my work, they really are interchangeable. I kind of did a little digging. And I guess for like neurobiological purposes, there's maybe a distinction in terms of the anatomy of the brain. But for the purposes of the work that I do, they're the same. They're, and the idea is the salient idea is that a lot of our emotional and mental life takes place outside of the realm of of what we're conscious of, of our consciousness. So we have, you know, beliefs, feelings, thoughts, ideas, assumptions that are, you know, buried in the unconscious and, and driving two really important things, how we see the world, literally how we perceive reality is getting driven largely by, again, ideas, thoughts, feelings, assumptions, beliefs that come from largely the past. So a lot of that unconscious material is primitive, and it's coming from survival times, like early childhood, basically, typically. Um, But it could even come from other generations. Some of what we believe in comes transgenerationally. So it's informing how we perceive the world. It's almost like we're superimposing it onto the here and now, and unless we are conscious of it, um, but it also drives behavior and action. So a lot of how we're driven, we have these unconscious motivations. And the really cool thing, like what I find endlessly interesting and fascinating about the work that I get to do, is that we can make that unconscious material conscious. And when we do that, we end up way less reactive. And we have way more choices, way more options available to us. And that, again, like, like lights me up. I'll just throw in because it's like my favorite, one of my favorite all-time quotes, and I think it's so powerful, is the classic Carl Jung, the father of shadow works with psychiatrists quote, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you'll call it fate. It's like a really big statement, right? So just one more thing I'll say is some things do happen randomly, right? Like there, there are definitely things like that happen to us that are beyond our control, you know, that we just have to deal with in life. But there's a lot of what's happening to us that we're co-creating we're subconsciously creating and i'm interested in that because i want people to you know not have to encounter more challenge than is required in this lifetime and we have a lot of leverage around that if that makes sense yeah
3: yeah absolutely do you have any examples of how our unconscious beliefs and ideas how that impacts one how we see the world and then two how we're, how we're behaving like i don't know if you have any client examples, or if you specifically have any examples that you've observed with people and their ideas about money?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I was thinking it might be good first for me to kind of describe how the shadow gets created. And this will have an example in it as well. But basically, you know, in early childhood, we get messages from our environment about who it's okay and safe to be, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And by environment, I mean both our family, but I also mean the culture. So we have all these messages and some of them are spoken to us, but a lot of them, it's almost just like are in the ethers, they're in the water and we're just absorbing these messages. A really great place and simple place to see it at play is in gender. So, you know, boys get messages no matter how progressive i always like to i have sons and so i i went out of my way because i i'm pretty progressive to try to message to them like it's okay to express anything you can have feelings but no matter even so my boys got the message the memo from the culture these are thousands of years of culture that you know while being a boy it's not great to be overly emotional too sensitive too soft so for boys generally this is this is a generalization but those qualities of emotionality sensitivity deep feelings tend to go into the shadow and get repressed, get pushed into the unconscious girls get a different set of messages. You know, don't be too self-centered. Don't be too ambitious. Don't be too assertive or loud. Those are just some examples. Those qualities tend to get put into the unconscious for girls because they're not wanted. They make you not desirable. They make you, they're unsafe both to feel and to express outwardly. So we split ourselves in two. And this is really interesting. We end up being two selves. We have our identity, our waking conscious identity, how we think about ourselves. In my work, we call that the ego, right? Just the ego is my waking conscious identity, how I how I identify myself. But then I have a shadow self that carries all of the unwanted, unsafe, historically unsafe qualities, and those qualities and feelings they don't go away. They just end up getting carried by an, a split off part of the self, and in, again, until we make that part. The shadow, what we call the shadow, more conscious, we're kind of walking around like a house divided. We're split. We're, you know, at odds with ourselves to varying degrees at all times. So, you know, vis-a-vis money, you know, I was thinking of sharing an example from my own childhood. I grew up actually in two households. I was a kid of divorce, a child of divorce, but in the main household with my mom, you know, there was this messaging really like money was kind of demonized a little bit. Like people who had money were seen to be, there was judgment. It was like shallow, made you, you know, a little bit like dirty or untrustworthy and again, I don't think that was ever told to me, but the other, the flip side of the coin was like the good people, the trustworthy people are people with dirt underneath their fingernails and like this real Protestant work ethic, like, you know, it wasn't actually Protestant, but but a real like, you know, almost austerity around money. And that's what makes you a good person. And so I was at odds with like wanting, like wanting was, was not cool. Like it was too much. It was made me feel guilty, made me feel ashamed. I remember that I would come out to LA for my summers with my dad and my dad had more means. And I was, Allowed to pick my shampoo, which seemed like a really huge like privilege. And it was in the heyday of Neutrogena. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> I mean, Neutrogena is still around, but there was like a moment when Neutrogena was the thing. And I remember getting that shampoo and actually feeling like dirty using it because I had shame around having the nice stuff. Whoa. So, as an example, like if I hadn't worked on that shadow, it could. Kind of affect me in different ways as an adult. One way is that it could make it really hard for me to, let's say, ask for a raise or want things, like just want, like receive abundance. Or if, let's say, I did become an adult who could make money, it might make it hard for me to hold on to it because I'm ambivalent. Part of me has ambivalence about it being okay to want and receive money. That's one way a shadow, an unconscious shadow could affect me in the here and now. But there's this other crazy phenomenon happens with the shadow that I've kind of alluded to, which is that when the shadow is unconscious, it also can cause you to act out. So like the shadow won't just remain a silent passenger your whole life. It wants attention. It wants inclusion. And when it's you know, rejected and denied by the ego, suppressed by the ego, occasionally it takes over and leaks out. So that shadow of mine that actually wants the stuff and wants to feel like it's okay to want things and to be greedy and to want nice things might occasionally cause me to like go on a spending spree or a bender, a binge because it grabs the wheel. And we all have that occasionally. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. The shadow what just can't be suppressed psychologically? Sustainable. It doesn't work. So occasionally it leaks out, it takes over, it drives. And then the ego says, wait, 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 wait. That's not me. I'm this really good, hardworking person who is, you know, lean and mean and not spoiled. And so I'm going to press, I'm going to push you back down. And then it's only a matter of time until that like starving for stuff shadow comes out and says, I'm going to overspend. I'm going to take out a, you know, a credit card or whatever it is. So that's, that's, that's kind of how that works. And that Jekyll and Hyde thing is all over like art and literature. I think people will hearing that probably be familiar. We've all had that experience of like a part taking over and it being feeling, you know, not congruent with who we, you know, our persona, how we think of ourselves.
3: What I'm hearing is don't try to repress these parts of yourself. That's definitely not the move. But before I ask you for the next instruction, I do want to share that as you're talking about your upbringing and the Neutrogena shampoo, I was flooded with this insight suddenly where when I was growing up, I went to Catholic school all the years and there was like a jump from eighth grade, right? It was K through eighth and then high school. Like K through eight, everybody kind of seemed in the same income bracket or maybe I was just too young to know who had way more money than, than, you know, I think, yeah, could have been a number of factors. But I remember going to high school and seeing kids with a lot of money and being like, oh, we're not. We're for sure not like that. Like, we for sure don't have a shower that has a bench in it. And we for sure are not, you know, calling in and out to cater our my 14-year-old birthday party out in the front lawn. Like, this is another level. And I... I kind of feel like the the line that I'm drawing now as an adult, that seems really clear and it wasn't clear back then, but is that sometimes I think I feel like if I want that life, like if I want what I saw, in a weird way, I'm like rejecting my family or I'm telling them that they're not good enough. So thank you for shaking that out of me, Kristen. I just wanted to share that. As you're talking, I'm like hit with this insight of like, oh, okay, cool. I should double click on that. That's that's some interesting information.
4: Yeah, wanting is a betrayal. Somewhere that got that track got laid down.
3: Yeah, it's like I'm actively. Yeah, wanting is equal to me telling my parents like, thanks for what you've given me, but it was it wasn't enough. You know, like it feels like I'm slapping them in the face.
4: Yeah. So in your case. And I don't know if we want to do this right now, but, but the difference between thinking these thoughts like cognitively and intellectually, like you just had an aha moment and the work that I do, I want to help you bring that to life because there's a part of you that you you actually abandoned at that moment that was like, you know, like maybe had her jaw dropped and was looking at the in and out, you know, catered party on the front lawn and like, I want, I want, I want. But that was so dangerous because you didn't want to, you know, convey to your parents that you rejected them basically. And so that's who we want to get back in touch with the part that wanted and that didn't feel that it was okay to want. Like, do you have a sense? Can you get back into that? Do you want to do that now or do you want to move on? That's a great
3: question, kristen. let's Let's dig in. Let's see where this goes.
4: I'm curious. I mean, I, I think that I'll say Paco, before we do, most of us have when it comes to money, and there's lots of different types of shadows. but 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 most of us have a shadow related to like a sense of inferiority and shame. Like we didn't have as much as other people. And that lives in us as like a low-grade sense of inferiority. There's shadow material around that that we can get in touch with. And most of us have, not everybody, but I would say most people have shadow material related to like, I want and I have a greedy, lusty, (laughs) hedonistic, you know, appetite part of me. And that's evil. Like that Mm -hmm. is wrong. And we want to have, a, and again, from my perspective, we want to have a relationship. We want to find and build a relationship with both of those parts of ourselves. And just to be even more clear, so I work with these incredible guys, Barry Michaels and Phil Stutz, and shadow work isn't new, but the way they kind of innovated shadow work, we work with the shadow as a real living being with its own consciousness and point of view. So again, instead of these being intellectual constructs and ideas that we're saying, you're gonna relate, we relate to the shadow as a real separate self. And it's an act of imagination that takes a suspension of disbelief for a lot of people, but it is incredibly powerful at effectuating change. Like that's, if I know one thing from the last five years of working in this particular way, you know, even for my most left brain, you know, logical, rational, like I've had to, a lot of people, this just makes intuitive sense to, And they get on the ride and I'm like, Hey, just try it. You know, you don't have to believe in it. Just try it. But some people are staunchly like very, you know, concrete operational left brain materialists. And even those people, you know, once they finally felt experience of the, of their shadow, it's, incredibly transformative, a a transformative way of working. And the shadow becomes a real traveling companion that you keep relating to that ultimately, here comes a big thought, gives you access to the whole dimension of your unconscious, which is like an incredibly intelligent part of the self. So, uh, you know, the shadow becomes the gatekeeper and the gateway to this hidden dimension of our intelligence that can help us be a much better version of ourselves. Anyway, that's a lot of concepts and <laughs> no. You know,
3: I mean, <laughs> I would co-sign on on all of these things because I, you know, I started working with you in 2019 and I don't always work with you. You don't, I don't always, we don't have like a weekly thing, but every time something scary is about to happen in my life, typically with my career, I call you, I text you and ask you to to help me deal with the natural fears that pop up when you publish a book or create a podcast or when I did the PBS special, like all of those times I felt like this is going to be really scary for sure. I'm going to have some haters, but I really want the message to get out there because I know it will help people. So how can we, how can we work through this? And since, since being prompted to do this kind of work, for those types of things. Earlier in the conversation, I said, like, now I'm super into it. And by that, I mean, like, I've explored self-hypnosis now, which has been, I mean, re- a ridiculous game changer. Because, again, I can, like, go just beneath the surface and revisit some of these memories of my life and, and reimagine them to have a different outcome. And I know that that sounds incredibly silly. I know how silly that sounds. But it's incredibly healing for me. And lucid dreaming is another thing I got really into, especially during the pandemic. And I think what prompted that was I couldn't really go anywhere. So I was like, I'm going to go places in my dreams. And I've had such healing experiences. Did I tell you about the, when I got to see my dog Dauphine in one of these lucid dreams? No, no. Okay. Yeah. So I'll tell it was, oh, it was so sweet. So I'm like, I think sleeping, I like in the dream, I'm sleeping and I look up and I'm, the bed is outside and I see a tree and I look at this tree. <laughs> it's not the bed outside that tells me I'm sleeping, it's the vividness of this tree. Then I'm like, oh, maybe I'm, I think I'm sleeping. So I'm dreaming rather. And I can't remember, I think I tried, to, I can't remember how I tested it. I just believed in it and I thought, okay, if I'm dreaming right now, what do I want to do? Right. And like up, up until this dream, I had mostly just been like, Flying. Like I couldn't every time I couldn't think of anything. So I would just fly. But finally I remembered, okay, let's I want to see Dauphine, my my little dog who we lost at the top of the pandemic. So this was several months after we'd lost her. Okay, I want to see Jophine. And all of a sudden I'm in this like really cute European town, like cobblestones, old buildings. And then one dog comes by, com- coming down the little cobblestone, walking towards me. And I'm like, that's not her. And then another moments pass, then another dog. Moments passed, then two dogs. Moments passed, then three dogs. And then then all of a sudden, it's like all these dogs, like a little black Pomeranian, all these dogs are running down the street. And then finally I see her running. She runs right up to me and I just get down and I pet her and I say, thank you so much, Dauphine. Thank you so much. And then the dream was over. But I woke up and I felt like a sense of resolution. It was, I can't, <laughs> yeah, I it, it was very much needed and a weird thing that I did and I... I don't know that I would be open to such weirdness if I hadn't done all the shadow work Hmm. with you. So thank you. Are you
4: calling me weird? (laughs) I feel like there was a backhanded compliment there. No, but you know, what you're pointing to, Paco, which is really true, is that consciousness is a lot more fluid and less linear than... We imagine it to be like we have a narrative where in 2023, we're like scientific, you know, rationalists, materialists, and we have a certain understanding of consciousness that is unitary. I'm only ego and it's very left brainy. And the truth is, you know that that excludes the unconscious and it excludes the shadow. It happens to also exclude the shadow, but there, like consciousness, is a lot more supple. And there's actually a lot of research, very sciencey research, that you know shows and bears out that the brain does not know the difference between an imagined experience and a lived experience. And so, you know, what I do in my work is I help t- people tap into the unconscious through active imagination and free association. And what you're doing, you know, in lucid dreaming or in hypnosis is just other, you know, gateways into this more supple part of our psyches, of our intelligence that has so much to offer. That's what's exciting to me about it. So you had these healing experiences. That's what I, you know, what I bear witness to every day is I, I would say the upside of doing this work, however you're going to do this work, and by the way, a lot of people are doing this work through substance, you know, plant plant medicine, very, or ketamine, you know, like assisted journeying to, again, kind of shut down the egos, what they, we call the default mode network. We're going to have, we have a program that we run and we're not aware that we're running it. And it circumscribes our worlds, how we see the world. But we can, so there are all these different ways to get outside of ego consciousness into the unconscious and more possibilities, you know, come about healing wise and also in terms of achieving our potential. And it's exciting stuff.
3: Yeah, it's definitely exciting stuff.
2: That's trinityschool.org.
5: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. wherever you get your podcasts take good care and we'll see you there
6: you think you found love online think again online romance scams are on the rise and they're targeting vulnerable lonely hearts all around the globe scammers make fake profiles and slowly gain your trust they often find excuses for never being able to meet in person Then, once they've got you hooked, they ask for money. They'll claim an emergency, and they'll make it feel very urgent. These scammers can be convincing, but they're not who they claim to be. Don't be fooled by their smooth talk, flattery, and promises of a life together. The harm caused by online romance scams goes beyond just losing your money. They can cause emotional distress, damage your credit, and even lead to identity theft. Practice internet safety. Never ever send money to someone you haven't met in person. Just say no.
2: We're finance. We
0: finance. We finance. We finance. finance.
3: Maybe we should get back into talking a little bit about money and the shadow so when i think about money and negative emotions like the you know the main players are going to be guilt and shame um can you talk about those feelings and how that relates to our shadow and what would you how would you approach a client who is coming to you and they they want to stop feeling shameful or guilty about maybe they want to stop feeling shameful about their student loan debt how about that as an example
4: you know so so again it would be I think we should do I don't want to leave people hanging either the cliffhanger (laughs) okay what's going to happen with Paco and her shadow but it's it is the answer to this question So I'm going to root around with people for kind of early impressions that they got related to money. And I'm going to do that by asking a lot of questions. And there's going to be, you know, again, kind of what we touched on earlier, probably something either around shame or something around guilt that got messaged. And, you know, the kind of, Anyway, I don't even want to keep talking about it. I just want to do it with you. It'll be way more, yeah, way more accessible for people to, you know, get to experience it. And, And I happen to know based on some things that you told me that this would be a good shadow for you to get in touch with in terms of expanding your life specifically in the way that I know you want to expand right now. I don't know if you want to give any of that context at all, but you don't have to.
3: When we spoke earlier... I was telling you that I would like to grow my bookkeeping agency, really scale it. I would like to be doing double the revenue that we're doing now. And the one thing I'm really hung up on, like the narrative I have is I don't want to blow up my life, right? Because I things are going well. Like I I have a nice routine going on. I like my team. Things are fine. And I know that in order to like change, something has to change. And I'm super scared of that. And I think one of the other messages that I think I've gotten from media and an upbringing of like a modest family, right, is like the best things in life are free, right? Like don't focus too much on money. So I feel very at odds and intention between like wanting to reach this level of what I think will be financial security, right? I think that's how I'm going to feel. I don't know if I'm going to feel that way, Kristen, when I get there. And, you know, just, I think, feeling appreciative for for where I'm at. Like the, I think we're getting to it. I think we're getting to it. When I feel like I want to have more, part of me feels bad. Like part of me feels like I'm, I'm ungrateful for not just being happy with what I have.
4: Yeah, I think you're right on it. So, and I love because it came up. So close your eyes. I'm going to close my eyes too, because it's hel- it's helpful for me to close my eyes when I try to relate and commune to this this place. So close your eyes and just go back to what you talked about earlier, this like dawning awareness that there are people who had a lot more than you and that you weren't, you know, a part of this world of, I don't know how you thought of it or how you felt it, but the haves, there was this evidence. And it was like, you described it as this turning point, maybe between, you know, eighth grade and high school, your worldview broadened. And suddenly you were aware that there was a lot more. There are people who had things that you didn't have. And what I really want you to zero in on isn't, I don't want you to focus on, like, well, but we were happy and, you know, we had everything we needed and, you know, I shouldn't want those things. I actually want you to go the other way and see if you can evoke the feelings of want, longing, maybe there's envy in there. I want you to make that within bounds, like, actually try to make it safe. Instead of judging any of that, I want you to lean into. Some of the very natural feelings that were perhaps there and witnessing abundance, ease, you know possessions that you didn't have, access you didn't have. see if you can get back in touch with that. I don't know if it's the 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 party. What was the other example you mentioned? <laughs> I think I might have only
3: mentioned. The party, because I think the party was the moment that that I really mm. like it hit me. Because because you could, you know, we all wore u- uniforms and we weren't driving yet, so there were not really any indicators of socioeconomic mm. class. But if you went to somebody's house for a birthday party, that's when it all went down.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That makes so much sense. So, can you connect to the part of you that? had an appetite at that moment that wanted, that yeah, wished the, that you, that kind of stuff.
3: Yeah. The, I think that part of me very much in that moment felt like kind of excited that I was seeing an example of it and being able to live it. You know what I mean? I wasn't just like watching a movie and it was somebody else having this experience. I wasn't watching somebody else's experience. It was It was actually expansive for me in that moment. Like, this is possible.
4: Mm, So you experienced something that you didn't know existed, and it it lit you up.
3: Totally, yeah.
4: And what about the part that felt, that you alluded to, that felt like, very quickly, it sounds like, on the heels of that? Like, no, 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 no. That's going to be perceived as a rejection by your family.
3: Okay, so... I think what probably happened, and of course my memories are corrupt, right? I think I might have been really excited about it. And and I might have shared it with my parents. And I think there was a vibe. Or if there wasn't a vibe, like if they were stoked on my experience, I think I just felt badly afterwards that I was so excited about something that wasn't a part of our lives that I was having this experience on my own and it was wrapped up in material bullshit. <laughs> but I was on one. I was stoked on it.
4: Yeah. So great. That's so good. So just stay with the part of you, stay with the feelings of excitement and the awareness that they're like you said, expansive. Like it feels feels like at its core, the this the experience The state is one of excitement, expansion, maybe there's like ambition, appetite, and just stay with that and notice it. See if you can connect to the feelings, like really almost by paying attention to them, dial them up, get curious and let yourself fully feel, remember what it was like to feel like, oh my God, the world isn't. oyster and it could be my oyster right like that enthusiasm totally entitle yourself to it and do you feel that are you connected to it
3: i do i feel young again Kristen.
4: okay good i want you to take all that bright shiny youthful optimistic you know totally excited over the top energy i want you to imagine that you can push it out side of you. And I want you to just give it a face and figure. I want you to see what that part, the embodiment of that part of you, it might look like something like you. It might not look anything like you. See if you can see it as a separate being that is the carrier of all that incredible brightness. Okay. And whatever <laughs> comes is right. Because... <laughs> This is the unconscious, right. and Dauphine is here with us. Right, right. Okay. So what do you see?
3: I see, like, a, a version of myself. She's probably in her 20s, which is interesting. And she just feels excited, and she's got, like, super cheerleader energy, you know? Like, you got this energy. And she seems intense, like the kind of person who runs six miles a day, you know? <laughs> mm.
4: Love it. And you think, just stay with her for one more moment. So what you're really doing is now you're giving this part of you the dignity of a of a self. Like yeah. she's actually real. Mm-hmm. She got lost along the way. She, you know got tamped down because of all kinds of things the world feeds us. That enthusiasm, that intensity, that vibrance. She sounds so alive, so motivated. So by focusing on her, I want you to just now kind of soften your heart to her and recognize that she... She deserves attention and livelihood. She deserves a livelihood again. And see what happens when you bring that attitude towards her like, hey, I cut you off. I abandoned you. I'm here. What happens?
3: She's just grateful that I came back, that I acknowledged her.
4: And what does she want and need from you? you know, maybe specific, maybe in general, Mm -hmm. but maybe specifically as it relates to this juncture in your life where you're saddled with those old feelings of like, hey, if I want to take my career to the next level, it's, it makes me, you know, I'm greedy. It's like, I should just be freaking grateful. How does she feel about that?
3: She just wants me to trust in, in her desires and that, It's pretty evident from everything that I do, even if I'm benefiting it, I'm trying to bring as many people as I can along with me. Mm.
4: So she's really saying trust that your ambition is inherently good. Mm. It's not doing harm in the world. Like your fear that somehow wanting makes you greedy And maybe like even capitalism has a zero-sum game to it, right? It's like, I, I have at your expense. That's kind of the premise of, you know, that you don't want to buy into. But she's saying, no, 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 no. That's a false equation.
3: Yeah. Damn it. Damn it. You're good, Kristen. Yeah, that's for sure an aside that I think I needed to have. And that feels like a weird that... Like a, it's like a blind spot has been reveal, revealed to me. Like, why have I been feeling such tension? And, and now I feel like, oh, simply that I thought I was being evil out here wanting things. But it's not a zero-sum game. And you can do positive while gaining security for yourself.
4: Yeah. And we need the people with moral consciences... Of the world, actually, I believe to be entitled to appetite because there are leaders, like life takes leadership, and we need people who are good, sane, sober, grounded, non ego maniacal people to take up that kind of space in the world. So, but what I want to say to you practically is that, and it's interesting that the cheerleader image came up. She's your cheerleader. You actually need to, so this is instructive for people about kind of the trippy way that I work you need to keep her alive now in your mind's eye. She'll go dark and underground again unless you keep her alive with attention. Okay. And you're going to need her especially. I mean, number one, I'd say do that in two ways. The first way I'm going to say is when you're afraid, when you don't know what the truth is for you. So Mm -hmm. there's a couple applications. When you don't know, should I do this or should I not? I'd ask her opinion. Okay. And ask her, she gets to weigh in. She gets to weigh in on things. But also, when you're afraid, you need her. So you're going to turn attention. Needing her just simply means you take a beat, you pause, you remember, oh, I share my consciousness with this cheerleader, 20 year old, full of vitality, not jaded part of me. Let me you know, she's like your um, inner counsel or your cabinet. She's like a board member now, a bra- part of your brain trust, literally part of your brain trust. But I would also have you proactively connect with her since she represents new shadows emerge. Mm-hmm. If we're doing our job right and we're expanding, that to me is doing our job right. Like what I care most about is trying to help people get to their deathbed without regret. If we're doing that, we're expanding, we're taking risk and action in the direction of our potential. What does that mean? You're going to be afraid. (laughs) You're going to be biting off more than you can chew, like by choice. Mm -hmm. Instead of like, you know, forcing your life to like, you know, pain pushes, vision pulls, we're going to try to move towards that more consciously. And so you're going to be up against growing edges and fear and different shadows will emerge right now. She's your frontline shadow. She'll hold you back. You won't be able to expand and make all the money you're capable of and do all the good you're capable of and bring your whole light into the world if she's not conscious because she's going to hold you back because you've suppressed her. So it's really your own limitations are going to hold you back and then you don't have her, you don't have her courage, her energy, her stamina. You get none of that. So you need to work with her right now. And I, I'd, I'd visit with her morning and night at the very least. And all that means is close your eyes and say, hi, I see you. I share my consciousness with you. Remember her. That's all shadows want is to be remembered and remembered and included by the ego. The ego goes around acting like it's just me in here. I run the show. I'm going to, you know, and as they say, in 12 step programs, our best thinking got us where we are. Mm. conscious ego you know ego consciousness can only get us so far we need what flows through the unconscious that which is bigger than the ego and your shadow and this shadow for you in particular will help you get access to that
3: okay so i got my marching orders i got my homework morning and night i will visit my incredibly just full of energy and vitality 20 year old shadow I'll say hello, and we'll go from there. We'll see what happens. We'll see what how we commune and create. And gosh, if if this is an insight to how you work, Kristen, I don't know what is.
4: <laughs> well, thanks for you know being my guinea pig and and doing that vulnerable piece of work in real time in front of an audience. Of
3: That's, course. Uh, I mean, who knows how I'll be feeling after I remember or listen back on this? But in this very moment, I'm laughing because, yeah, I always. Find a way to make these podcasts about myself. So thank you, Kristen, for continuing the trend.
4: (laughs) We're working it out. Always working it out as individuals. I love it. And I'm excited because, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. And I believe that bright, super wattage part of you, like really not only deserves, but needs to be in the world. So I'm excited to see what comes when you spend a little bit more time with her.
3: Well, I feel the same way about your work, so... Mutual love and respect. Are you taking on clients right now? For anybody who's I listening? Am. Okay.
4: Cool. I mean, I I am. I it's I, it depends on kinda it's probably a, a handful of weeks of a wait list. But yeah, I'm it's always revolving because I'll say this sounds like a super plug for my work, but it's true. Part of what I didn't love about being a traditional psychotherapist is, again, if you have to go like turning over every horrible bad thing that happened to you and talking about it forever, it's a long program. Yeah. But my work is pretty efficient. And so, you know, I end up with openings is really the point of that statement. Like, I really feel like this work kind of get people, you know, where they where they need to be in terms of taking on the next front line and then they go away and they they implement it and you know, expand and then I have shorthand with them and intimacy and trust and if they want to come back they can and we do some tweaking. So that's a long answer. I always I make long answers for sure. <laughs> no, it's great.
3: I love it. You're very thorough. You're always exercising your literature degree with your very long answers, so I appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Gosh, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I should ask, but I really do feel like the exercise was leaving it all on the dance floor. How are you feeling?
4: Yeah, I feel I feel good about it. You know, yeah, I really encourage people, kind of like you modeled and talked about with the lucid dreaming and the hypnosis, just to try to remember any, you know, spend a little time, whether it's through journaling or just quiet and meditative, um, remembering any emotional. You know, whether it's a pain point or anything with emotional charge in your past related to money, and get really curious about it, bring the experience to life and try to find what part of you got split off, whether it was again because you felt some examples, you know, I, in in thinking about our podcast, like some gateways into these memories might be like when you felt inferior literally around money like your nose you know pressed to the glass and like you became aware I have similar I was wrong side of the track so very similar to you in high school I was suddenly in a very wealthy environment and and I had that experience or maybe you know you were at a dinner party and you felt ashamed or you couldn't afford to take a trip that other people could take you know go into experiences bring up the feelings and then just like I did with Paco Push those feelings out and get curious about what that shadow figure that carries the guilt and the shame and it could be anyway. This is getting a little bit theoretical and abstract, but yeah, I I encourage people to play around with it.
3: I love it. I don't know if you know this, but when I tell this story about working with the coach, because when I was working with you, we were first working on a, a TED talk, but we I had the doorknob doorknob moment, and we ended up working on the book proposal. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, the story that I always tell is, yeah, I hired a coach to help me with my proposal and I really thought she was going to like set a timer and like hit my hands with a ruler. Not really, but you know what I mean? Like make me right. And when we got there, I was like, this is really not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> not even <laughs> remotely close to what I thought it was going to be. But I'm glad I, I went and I'm glad we I dove in and, I, you know, working with you has been one of the most like valuable things in my life. So thank you so much for sharing your work with us, Kristen.
4: You're so welcome. And can I say one more thing, Paco? Do we have two more seconds? Yeah, of course. For my, of course. My, wordiness? my memory of that time with you was that what ended up happening was the shadow you were working with at the time And I tell this story in the book I'm attempting to write right now. And of course, I'll get your permission. (laughs) I'll have you sign off on it. And it's anonymous, of course. But like, you know, your shadow really wanted you to, again, what I recall is paint the dining room and the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Yourself. I did. Do you remember? I did. It. I mean, this is really? No, I know you did. What crazy person. So can I just tell this story? It's so powerful. This is how this shit works. This is such a powerful story. So I, I, as I recall, you had this book proposal, we had gotten you going with it, but you had a deadline coming up. Like maybe it was even the following week and your shadow very inconveniently said to you, I want you had hired somebody to paint your dining room in your kitchen because they needed to get painted. And we were go, I think we had met on a Friday, it was going into the weekend. And I took you into one of those, you know, kind of reveries that we were just in. And your shadow was like, I want you to do it. You who is not a painter. And you're like, what the actual fuck? And I just want to make note in case people don't really realize this, like painting a kitchen is not an easy room to paint you know, because you've got like cabinets and appliances. And so where I left off on that Friday, as I recall, was not knowing if you were going to actually do the painting. Like, were you going to trust, you know, your shadow, your unconscious and actually allocate all that time when you had a book proposal that you needed to get done? And crazy because you're so, I mean, you had a lot of experience with your shadow by then and you had trust in it and you decided to paint the dining room and the kitchen. And as I recall, I mean, this is my, the whole book proposal kind of downloaded to you after that. And the way I always talk about it is that very much like, I don't know if people have seen the karate kid, but you know, Mr. Miyagi has him do the painting of the fence and it's like, wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. And your shadow knew that you needed to not be forcing and jamming and trying to write the book proposal. You needed to be painting a room. And that was how your unconscious could, you know, transmit the information to you. And, you know, that is such a brilliant example of when we trust this part of ourselves, you know, if you're just left to your own egos thinking, you probably would have sat there, you know, like just hammering away and trying to force and jam the proposal and actually painting the kitchen and the dining room ended up being the most effective and efficient way to get the proposal
3: oh my gosh I forgot that happened but that's totally accurate except I painted the laundry room and the
4: water closet but
3: nonetheless
4: in my psyche it lives on <laughs> I didn't know that interesting okay but you actually did it
3: yeah and then I eventually eventually I did paint the kitchen and it was as you described a complete and utter pain in the ass but uh, not so
4: easy yeah, yeah.
3: Wow. Wow. All right. Well, memory lane. I know. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, where should the fine folks follow you along on the internet, Kristen? Where should we send them?
4: So I, oh, I'm based, I'm joining the 21st century. I have an Instagram, which is just my name, Kristen Sargent and Kristensargent.com. Okay. And I'm big involved in the tools universe, Phil Stutz and Barry Michaels. And so the tools book. Dot com is a great website with a lot of resources it's not my personal website but i'm all over that website as well
3: you almost got off completely scot-free without me hitting you with these rapid fire questions but i just remembered i have to ask you these rapid fire questions <laughs> okay, okay, okay are you game?
4: i'm totally game all
3: right so if i
4: get more time with you i'm game
3: <laughs> love it what's one thing you purchased that's had the biggest positive impact on your daily life
4: Okay, and my answers should there be a little rapid fire? You can tell me, be directive. Yeah, okay. Oh uh, well, because I have a
3: story. yeah. No, no, go for it. Go for it.
4: Well, so I was thinking about this, and you know, I'm going to make mine is like relevant to the last couple of years. I got divorced at the end of 2018. I hadn't worked in a really. I mean, I hadn't worked full-time. I had partially worked, you know, seeing patients, clients, and I was raising the kids. And when my divorce finalized, I had to make some serious bank, like in order to keep my my lifestyle and provide for my children. And I didn't know what I was capable of. I was scared. I had a lot of shadow going on at that time. And in my case, I had projected a lot of, you know, earning power, like power onto my ex-husband, And, and one of the things that he always did in our kind of, you know, split division of labor setup that we evolved was he negotiated the leases of the cars. And so one of my best purchases, I had to lease my first car. Um, I don't remember when it was. And the first time I did it, I kind of went, I was, I, I went small, like I was scared and I hadn't, I mean, like the whole thing of going into the dealership and then the choice, But my last car, which I'm about to re-up my lease, I got a really, a car that I love. And the reason it matters is like it's big and it's heavy and it's German and it's electric and it's like, and I, and it's a spend. And it was really my shadow that helped me discern whether that was, you know, where that was coming from. Like, was it a risk worth taking? Was it meaningful? Was it an overspend? That's how I use my shadow, work with my shadow, partner with my shadow. And it it ended up being such an important purchase for me because, you know, you, in LA, you spend a lot of time in your car and it's a constant reminder of my capacity and the power that I have to like effectual grow a garden in my life. And I, I needed that, you know, I had, again, outsourced a lot of that to the various men in my life. And that one has served me really well. And again, you could look at it as like, it's a car, it's material, shallow, but it does a lot for me in terms of what I remember about myself when I get into that car and how I feel about who I am. So I don't know
3: why I was expecting you to answer in a different way but the way that you answered is perfectly Kristen. So thank you.
4: Okay. What did you think I was going to say? I don't know. I, n-
3: that's Nobody has ever answered it in that way. Nobody has. I, I actually changed the phrasing of the question. Normally I ask, what's something that you bought that to the naked eye seems frivolous, but for you is money well spent. And I rephrased it to what's one thing you purchased that's had the biggest positive impact on your daily life. So I don't know if the phrasing made mm. you answer differently, but normally people... People just are not that like, I guess, intentional or seeing like, I mean, I think the work that you do, you're constantly thinking about like, you know, growing a garden, whereas other people are like, oh, yeah, the automatic cat kitty litter scooper in my office. You know what I mean?
4: Right. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing like there's too many layers going on at all times with me, which sometimes great, sometimes (laughs) exhausting.
3: What's one piece of advice financial or otherwise you'd give to your younger self?
4: You know, I don't choose to hang on to regret, but I really do think that you shouldn't give up your earning power. That that traditional division of labor, and I was an earner before I had kids. Like I had a career that had nothing to do with being a therapist. And you know, it was all beautiful. I don't re- I really don't regret that I mean, I spent a lot of time you know, getting to be a homemaker and it was wonderful and working very part-time, but I gave up, I, you know, I gave up a lot of power and my, you know, so much of like, I would say our real currency in life is the credibility and the confidence we gain by encountering our fear and being a person who works in the world and having to put yourself out there and earn kind of forces you into Facing fears in various ways, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're going to work and you have to speak up to a difficult boss or ask for a raise or whatever it is. And when you stop doing that, it's a real loss. It's a loss of currency. It's a loss of power. I would never, I would never do that again. I would never. So I think it's important to keep your earning power, you know, because of all that it creates, you know, internally, confidence wise and credibility with yourself wise.
3: I love that answer. And I also want to say to the listener that Kristen used to run a wellness company, right? And you like grew it to have $500 million in revenue. So it wasn't a tiny thing. It wasn't a small thing that... You definitely have the earning power is what I'm trying to say. And it must have been...
4: And then I didn't. (laughs) And then I really didn't you know, yeah. for a, for a stretch, you know, I I gave that up. And, and again, like I, you know, there was, I owned a home by that point. And so I could take some risks, you know, I had some leverage in the world based on that previous career, but yeah, I, I don't think that's, I don't think it's good for anybody when you don't make your own money in this lifetime.
3: I agree. I love that's that. That's my real belief. Did you happen to have any financial superstitions growing up? I I don't think I did. Okay, that's okay. Then let's. Uh, I'll ask the other question, which is, what's one thing that you've done that's had the greatest impact on your financial life? What's like oh. one action?
4: Well, I would say again of late, getting a bookkeeper. <laughs> yes, um, I love the- this answer. Yes, <laughs> but for reals, for reals, because my ex husband always used to say. I love this phrase, you know, you're standing on dollars to pick up dimes. And yeah, and I at a certain point in my business in this iteration of my professional life as a, you know, therapist coach, I was managing my money and I was, you know, holding myself back like that is not my superpower. And it really paid to outsource that and, and be able to put more time and energy into growing and expanding what I do well
3: you're really, you're have a high batting average here with these answers. I'm really loving all of them. (laughs) I'm so happy. Okay. Last one is, do you have any financial fumbles that you can look back on and laugh at? Mm
4: -hmm. You know what? I, let's see. I don't, you know, what's so funny. I'm just, I can't really, again, like my, I, you know, outside of my mom's relationship to money and that kind of like German austerity. My dad was the polar opposite. My dad has this real like easy come easy go. Money comes and goes. Fluidity. And I really feel like I I did glean a lot of that, like a faith and an optimism and a, he doesn't take it all too seriously. I mean if anything, you know, not that we're analyzing my father and he won't be listening to this podcast most likely, so thankfully, you know, if anything maybe to a degree where he should pay more attention to money, but <laughs> but that abundant that abundance like I feel a suppleness when it comes to money I don't know why you know again why I have that so but what would I let the, I'll just tell you the thing that keeps coming to mind okay. I once bought in an airport in a fucking like sorry, <laughs> duty-free shop like a leather blazer what? and that was just a <laughs> stupid why, why stupid- were you shopping in the
3: airport let's start there
4: Who remembers? I mean, I think it was, it's funny. It's kind of like similar to the car. I just didn't have my shadows back then. And my shadow would have said, pass that shit up. I think I was, it was in that business when I was doing the wellness business and I was traveling all over the country and the world and, you know, teaching business development. It's such a bad answer. This is where the batting average really goes down (laughs) because it's not that interesting that I spent money frivolously and it really, I don't know what I was chasing with that jacket. Anyway, that wasn't a good choice. And I, I don't have anything deeper to make of it. I like that's it. All I, got. I like that it
3: was a leather jacket at the airport. You know, sometimes your fumbles are just these one-off weird purchases, you know?
4: It was weird. Don't, don't spend money at the duty-free shop, maybe, is the message. I don't know what the message is. I love it. Well, Kristen, thank you
3: for hanging out and chatting and walking me through that exercise. I really appreciate you taking the time to... To share with our listeners what your work is all about and how you're trying to help folks. So, thank you so much.
4: Thanks for having me. This was (laughs) so much fun.
2: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry.
3: Thank you again for listening to Weird Finance. If you like the show, please express that like by giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out a lot. And if you'd like to receive even more content from me, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Nerd Letter. Each week, I'll send you a short email of things I've read and recommend. Sign up for it at thehellyardgroup.com. Yeah Here we are at the end of another episode of Weird Finance, an iHeartMedia production and just would not be possible without the help of many wonderful, caring, hardworking, and talented folks like my producer Ramsey Yunt. He produced, edited, did some sound design, and he even sang a little bit on this episode. Thank you to my sweet wife, Jen Pablo, for lending her voice for this week's PSA. If you have any comments, questions about money, suggestions, or you want to be a part of the show, give us a call at 833-ASK-PACO, that's 833-275-7226, or send us an email at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. That's it. We'll catch you here next week. In the meantime, take care.